Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. from the great state of Michigan. In the office. In the office, undisclosed location. We are recording from your parents' closet slash office. Shout out to them. Shout them out. But this is the first episode of 2023. And isn't it so fantastic that we are starting it out with a little bit of drama and technical difficulties? <laughs> yeah, just, it always seems like it's something when we come here. And, yeah. uh... It was honestly as bad as when we just started the podcast, our first episode, trying to get that together. Yeah, basically my microphone decided that it was no longer going to connect to my computer, which makes absolutely zero sense. And we have been trying to fix it for like a whole day now, but we have figured out how to connect it to a new computer. And here we are talking to all of you lovely people. And we're just going to breeze on past it because we want good vibes only. Right. Same setup. Same setup. We changed nothing. But we're going to move past it. <laughs> what um, if we had fun? You know, let's just be thankful we have another option, right? Very let's true. Let's be grateful. I'm very glad that we got it to work because if it wasn't going to work, that was going to be a big problem. It's be an issue. We didn't know if it was the microphone, my computer, the connector cord. Hell, maybe I would have gotten all three different. That would have sucked. <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway, we have a very inspirational story to kick off 2023 i'm told we for sure do yeah we're going to be talking about katrina cook brownlee today and although her story is very intense as many of the stories we talk about are it's very inspirational the things that she has achieved in her life is just incredible and i'm excited to talk about her today and share her story because it feels like a good way to kick off 2023 amen so let's get into it shall we let's do it Okay, so before we start, I did want to give a quick trigger warning for domestic violence. In 1988, 18-year-old Katrina Cook Brownlee was a single mom living in the Brevoort Projects in Brooklyn. It was also during that time when she met who she thought was the perfect man. Alex Irvin was a correction officer on New York's notorious Rikers Island. When she got into a relationship with Alex, it felt like a way out. He had a car, he had a good job, and a gun. Things started out great. He was a very kind partner, and Alex felt like the ticket to a house with a white picket fence that she had always dreamed of. Katrina had never experienced security like the beginning of her relationship with Alex. He had a real career and a real gun to prove it. And on top of that, she had never driven around in a fancy car either. So as a young girl coming from the projects, it felt like she had escaped. But unfortunately for Katrina, that dream was shattered very quickly when Alex's violent temper came out for the first time. This drastic change happened almost immediately. It was not a gradual beginning. The abuse started with him beating her out in the streets. So not behind closed doors, in public. It was very abrupt and very public. Whoa. And nobody said or did anything? Nope. Just getting beaten up in the streets? Yes. So when the abuse started, Katrina knew that she should end it. But before she did that, she had a conversation with her grandmother, who was the only adult in her life at that time who she trusted. So she told her grandmother what had been going on and that she was planning on leaving Alex Irvin. But her grandmother convinced her to stay. Oh, Graham. 
Katrina had a daughter at the time, so her grandmother advised her to stay with this man who had a job and who was willing to take on Katrina and her daughter. She told Katrina that this man could provide for them, which was something she should consider before she decided to leave. Keep in mind, her grandmother had heard all about Alex physically assaulting Katrina and that he was actively abusive toward her in her day-to-day life, but she still advised Katrina to stay. Looking back on it, Katrina said that this was absolutely the worst advice that she could have ever gotten. I get that he would provide stability, but you gotta think that... At what cost? At what cost, and eventually this is probably gonna end up affecting your child. It's absolutely going to. I mean, absolutely, but also yourself. You're being yeah. physically hurt I every mean, that, single yeah. day. I mean, that's, that's a given. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because her grandmother told her she should rethink the decision, that's exactly what she did. And she decided to stick it out. And she's 18. Yes. She yeah. was a kid, you know? I know. Yeah. That's so hard. And then the one person, the one adult you trust in your life is telling you to stay. Oh, I can't imagine. And she has a daughter. She's She thinks she's doing what's best for her daughter, which is so sad. But not long after that, Katrina and Alex had a baby girl. So this was Katrina's second daughter. Katrina had hoped that having this baby would make the beatings less frequent or in a perfect world stop altogether. But that unfortunately was not the case. There was no telling what would spark his anger. It could come from him having a bad day, if the baby was crying, if he didn't like what she was wearing that day, if she didn't want to have sex with him, or any other random thing that he didn't like. Point being, it was constant. On multiple occasions, Katrina called 911, but every time she called the police on him, they would either come and tell the couple to work it out, Or, more frequently, Alex would have a separate conversation either outside or in a room with the police, and after that, they would walk away. Because remember, Alex Irvin was a cop himself. That meant, in those scenarios, he would flash his badge and they would walk away. Katrina called this the blue wall of silence. The minute they saw his badge, they left. So because of that, Katrina stopped calling altogether. It's like, why wouldn't she? Right. It's like the definition of insanity. You want to keep calling them because you know they're supposed to keep you safe. But every time she did, nothing was done. So at some point, she just stopped calling altogether. So because of her circumstances, Katrina had lost all respect that she had for cops. And who can blame her? Seriously. In 1992, Alex Irvin moved Katrina and the two girls from Brooklyn to a small house in Medford on Long Island. The abuse hadn't gotten any better and, in fact, had only gotten worse. Katrina said there was never a time she didn't have some kind of black eye or busted lip, which is when sunglasses became a staple in her wardrobe. But finally, after five years of constant abuse, Katrina had had enough. By that time, she had been pregnant once again, and she vowed that she would not bring another child into this toxic, violent relationship which is when she began saving money and worked up the strength to get out of that horrible situation. She had moved her and her daughters into a local motel to get a fresh start, but after only a month, her funds ran out. And since she had no one else to call, she had no choice but to reach back out to Alex Irvin. To Katrina's surprise, Alex seemed like a completely different person and even offered to help her get back on her feet. But isn't that always how it goes? They want you back, so of course they're going to be on their best behavior. How eerie is that where it's just a completely different person than you experienced the past five years? Yeah. 
And this was a very calculated move. I mean, of course it was, but this wasn't just, I want her back. This is, I want her exactly where I want to put her. Right. So the two began talking and became friendly, which was something that Katrina had never experienced with him. That definitely made her hopeful, but as she would soon find out, this was all a setup to get her exactly where he wanted her. So around 11.30 a.m. on January 9th, 1993, Katrina had left her older daughter with a neighbor and went with her younger daughter to Alex's house. As soon as he opened the door, she knew that something was off. He had a really weird look on his face, but Katrina's youngest daughter had been asleep at the time, so she just walked right in past him, put down her daughter on the bed, and then came back out to see what was going on. And as soon as she walked out of the bedroom, Alex Irvin pointed a gun at Katrina and said, this is the day you die, bitch, and shot her in the stomach. She fell back on the couch and looked down in shock. She didn't see as much blood as she was expecting at that point and asked out loud, why am I not bleeding? Because at that point, she's in complete shock. And all he said back to her was, shut up, as she tried to crawl away from him. But he shot her again and again until he emptied the gun, each time saying another awful thing like, are you ready to die, Katrina? Is this the day you're going to die, Katrina? You know you deserve this, Katrina. All while shooting her one after the other after the other. And after emptying the gun, he reloaded and shot her another five times. So at this point, weak and bleeding profusely, Katrina had tried picking up the phone to dial 911, but to her horror, the lines had been cut. She was on the floor of the living room, still trying to crawl away from him, but as she looked up at him, he kicked her in the face. He wanted her to suffer as much as possible. I mean, this is not a quick encounter. Katrina got to the point where she could no longer crawl, but he put her in their bed and for some twisted reason covered her gunshot wounds with band-aids. He then carried her to the bathroom where he put her on the bathroom floor, all while leaving a horrifying trail of blood all over the home. Katrina said this didn't happen within like 20 minutes or 30. This was a long period of time that he was torturing me and shooting me. Over the course of an hour and a half, He had emptied his service revolver two times at Katrina, who at the time was pregnant, remember. This man was evil. He locked the windows and doors and cut the phone lines. He had planned for everything to make Katrina's murder as terrible for her as possible. He planned for everything all except getting a knock at the door. So as Katrina lay bleeding on the floor, Alex had an unexpected visitor by a family friend. And instead of ignoring this knock, he opened the door and let his friend into the house. So, yeah, so he walked into a scene out of a horror movie. I mean, there was blood everywhere. And Alex told his friend that he had shot Katrina after he quote unquote flipped out. I'm sorry, I flip out when I see a spider. Yeah. I wouldn't classify torturing someone for over an hour and a half as flipping out. Yeah. I can't believe he just told his friend that. I mean, it's not like he could hide it. The only way he could hide it is if he didn't answer the door altogether, but he saw that Alex's car was in the driveway, and I'm sure he saw that Katrina was there too. Yeah. So there was nothing he could do. So after telling his friend, who was only 20 at the time, that he had shot Katrina, he led him to the bathroom where she had been lying face down on the floor. So completely panicked from the scene he had walked in on, Alex's friend picked up Katrina and carried her to his car. 
and Alex helped him put Katrina in the back seat, and the two men headed to the hospital with his friend driving. The whole way, Katrina was going in and out of consciousness, with Alex's friend begging her to hold on and that they were close to getting her help. Once they pulled up to Brookhaven's emergency room entrance, this friend then hurriedly put Katrina in a wheelchair, still with her wounds covered in the band-aids that Alex had put on them, pushed her through the doors, and then sped off with Alex. She was immediately rushed into surgery and would face multiple other surgeries the following days. And even after all of these surgeries, doctors couldn't remove six of the ten bullets. As Katrina fought for her life in the hospital, lead detective Raymond Blasco raced to Alex Irvin's house. When he answered the door, Alex calmly said, I was expecting you. And he was then promptly arrested. So I guess the blue wall of silence can only go so far. Seriously. Yeah, it took attempted murder. Right. So after days of drifting in and out of consciousness, Katrina finally woke up. The first thing she wanted to know was where her children were and how the baby she had been carrying was. She was told that her two daughters were safe and were staying with a relative. However, sadly, her baby did not make it. Most of the gunshot wounds were concentrated between her chest and her pelvis, so she had lost the baby and was also told that she would no longer be able to have children in the future due to her wounds. Sadly, that wasn't all. Her injuries had made her mobility extremely limited, and doctors were concerned she may never walk again. So doctors told Katrina that she may never walk again and that she would need people to take care of her basically all of the time. And this news absolutely rocked her because she didn't have anyone else to take care of her. She was homeless. She didn't even have a place to live, let alone someone to take care of her, and she had two daughters. She was completely petrified for what this meant for her future, and she had no idea what she was going to do. She had these two little girls and nowhere to go. She considered that moment to be her rock bottom. She said, quote, Your son is murdered. You can't take care of your children. You have nowhere to live. You have no family. It doesn't get no worse than that. Alex Irvin's mother let Katrina move into her house in Brooklyn, which was unoccupied at the time. For the time being, she had around-the-clock care and daily sessions with a speech and physical therapist, but she was deeply depressed and refused to work on her therapy. She said that she had fallen into a hole that was so deep and so wide she couldn't see the bottom or side to side. Thankfully, her physical therapist was able to give her the hope that she needed, though, and he told her that he believed she was going to walk again. She still had a very long way to go, but little by little she did make progress. She went from being in a wheelchair to a walker and then a cane until finally she began walking again. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's amazing. So from that point on, she put everything into showing the doctors that she could get better. Because of this much-needed hope and progress, Katrina started believing in herself as well. But unfortunately, the nightmare was not over. Alex Irvin's mother kicked her out of the house while she was still recovering. And on top of that, she had asked Katrina to write a letter stating that she had shot herself ten times. That way her son didn't go to jail. This woman. Seriously? Yes. I can't believe it. You're going to kick the mother of your grandchildren who's recovering out of your home. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to ask her to say she shot herself ten ten times. times. Yep. 
in the stomach mm-hmm. when she had a baby. Right. It makes no sense. So, Katrina... I, mean, I get that it's your son, but this is levels beyond. Yeah. I can't say because I don't have a child, but if I had a son who shot someone 10 times in the chest and stomach and, like, tortured them for an hour and a half, I might be like, yeah, maybe they should go to jail. You I mean, know? you gotta like, see the light, right? I don't know. That's You gotta deal with that because... He's going to do that again. Yeah. I mean, this person is clearly unwell. Yeah. Very, very dark and troubled and like not not somewhere where he should have access to any other person. Yeah. I mean, do you have no empathy? No, clearly not. Clearly not. Yeah. So Katrina obviously refused such an outrageous request, but that was the reason that she was kicked out of the house. So basically it was like an ultimatum. It's like, if you don't admit to shooting yourself 10 times, then I'm going to kick you out of the house. And so Katrina got kicked out with her two kids, you know? So her grandchildren, by the way. Yeah. She said, I became even more homeless. I don't know how much more homeless you could be. But then I really became homeless. So after that, Katrina and her two daughters ended up in a homeless shelter on the Lower East Side of New York, which was a terrible place. There were rats and roaches. It was absolutely filthy. And she said it was so disgusting that she wouldn't even use the bathroom. She would take her daughters to McDonald's and bathe them and herself in the sink. So she was completely in survival mode at that point. The only thing that mattered was keeping her girls safe because she felt incredibly guilty and like she had failed her daughters because in her mind, they didn't choose Alex. She did. So it was her fault, which it wasn't her fault, but that's how she was feeling. Thankfully, though, while she and her girls were struggling to survive, Carrie Herzog, who was an assistant district attorney at the time, was building a very strong case against Alex Irvin. Carrie had heard about Katrina's attack as she was being rushed into the intensive care unit at Brookhaven Memorial Hospital. And it was around that time that Raymond Blasco had arrested Alex Irvin and saw the amount of blood that was around his house. So he truly did not believe that Katrina would survive just based off of the crime scene alone. And really, neither did Carrie Herzog. She thought that Katrina was going to die as well. So she went to the hospital to get a dying declaration from Katrina to use as evidence for a grand jury. At the time, Katrina's voice had been just above a whisper and each breath was labored, but she was able to give a statement. So this was when she was like first attacked, but Carrie Harsog had heard about this attack and was like, I am going to get every bit of evidence that I possibly can to put this man away forever because he is a monster. Yeah, that's remarkable that she was able to give a statement, though. I know. Was it before she was rushed into surgery? Maybe between surgeries. She went through so many that probably between, I would assume. Probably. I can't imagine anyone being able to speak after being shot 10 times. No, and like tortured, like kicked and yeah. But thankfully, Katrina did make it through all of those surgeries and Carrie wanted to do everything in her power to now get justice for Katrina because... She had made it through, she she was alive, and now it's like, okay, now I'm even fighting harder because this woman is still alive. Not that she wouldn't fight equally as hard if she had died, but you know what I mean. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. So Carrie fought tooth and nail, but out of nowhere, Katrina began backing away from Carrie and prosecution. And this was really confusing for Carrie because the whole way Katrina had been cooperative and she believed that they were on the same page. 
But after looking into things, Carrie discovered that Alex Irvin, against court orders, had been calling and threatening Katrina from jail. So she can't even get any kind of peace, even while her attacker's behind bars. Yeah. Didn't we have this last story where somebody could continue to contact? Yeah, Tiffany Mead. Yeah. Is it not impossible to block numbers for this guy? I mean, I mean, they should figure it out. Like, if that isn't a thing, like, can't you block one number or like have someone next to the person to make sure they're not dialing that number? Like, I don't mean, maybe it's too hard, but I don't know. It feels maybe worthwhile to try. I think so. You know? Yeah, there's zero reason why he should have any access to Katrina in any capacity, especially behind bars. Like, what the hell? But he was. He was threatening her from jail. And Carrie Hersog's response to this was, I wanted to rain down on him with the white-hot intensity of a thousand suns. The arrogance for him to be having this conversation with her from inside the jail was outrageous. He needs to pay. Yeah. So this is the kind of woman we're dealing with. She wants to rain down the white-hot intensity of a thousand suns. Yeah, this is what we need. Exactly. The defense then presented a letter to the judge that apparently had been written by Katrina herself... And it read, quote, I, Katrina Cook, the victim in this case, has decided that I don't want to press charges due to duress at the time of my accident. What? So this is a woman who had been shot 10 times, and here she's portraying it as an accident. And then the icing on the cake, it said, if I am subpoenaed to court, I will testify on the defendant's behalf. So years later... Katrina told Carrie that she hadn't actually written this letter, but at the time, Carrie wholeheartedly believed that Katrina had written it. So this was just like a falsely written letter, but it was supposedly from Katrina. Did she submit it or was it Alex? I mean, it was probably Alex's mother. Wow. But I I just don't understand. How did they miss that? Did she go along with it? Did she sign off? Was she threatened to sign off on it? I don't have that information, but she did say years later that she's not the one who wrote it. So I'm assuming that someone, you know, maybe typed it up or wrote it out and signed it as her, but it wasn't actually her. But she probably didn't do too much about it because she was being threatened. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. If she even knew. I. And then probably didn't do anything because he was threatening her. Very possible. So, of course... Carrie, who believed that this letter was actually written by Katrina, was horrified when she read the letter, although she wasn't entirely surprised. Katrina had already come back from the brink of death, and Alex had been threatening her, so if she showed any cooperation with prosecution, it could have gotten way worse for her. When Carrie got her on the phone, Katrina told her she wasn't going to come into court, and she didn't want to talk about it, and, in fact, she was going to disappear where she could never be found, because she was terrified of Alex Irvin. So when Katrina told Carrie she was going to disappear, and you're never going to find me, Carrie let the rage that had built up inside her out, and told Katrina, quote, Katrina, I will hunt you down like a dog if I have to. So then Katrina hung up the phone. So maybe a bit much, but also I understand. I understand Uh, the intensity, but also she is the victim. Maybe chill, Carrie. So because of that, that was their last contact that they had at the time. And Carrie definitely did not expect Katrina to appear in court, even though there had been a subpoena issued for her. But at that point, Carrie had built such a strong case against Alex Irvin that even without her star witness, she was convinced that she would win a conviction. 
Yeah, I mean, they have the cops showing up to his apartment with her blood all over it. Yeah. His, the murder weapon, mm-hmm. or the attempted murder weapon. Her, probably the his friend, friend, yeah. Witness. Right. I mean, they have everything they need. It's, yeah. He's going away, for sure. But, you know, Katrina would have been a nice touch, so. But, in April of 1994, one year and three months after the attack jury selection began. And on day four, Carrie was very pleasantly surprised when suddenly the courtroom door flew open. Katrina had walked into the courtroom wearing a brightly colored dress, which I love. It's just the, the fact that she walked in wearing a brightly colored dress to this place is such a boss move to be like, boom, I'm here. And also it's like a full legally blonde moment. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, have yeah. you seen Legally Blonde? You showed me. Yeah. Oh, yes. Where she Multiple times. basically is like, I'm going to show up in a bright pink lawyer's like soup, suit. Suit. Yeah, that's an incredibly bold move. Yeah, but I respect it. Yeah. She had decided that she was going to walk into that courtroom and face whatever was going to happen. She didn't even look at Alex because one, he didn't mean anything to her anymore. And two, she didn't want to give him any power. At that point, she had won her power back and felt in control, so she wasn't going to give it to him or give him any kind of time of day, which, again, is so strong and brave and good and bold and amazing. (laughs) How many good words can I say? All of the things. Yes. It just makes me so happy. And in my notes, I literally wrote in all caps, slay, (laughs) with like a bunch of A's and Y's. I was like, slay, (laughs) because I'm trash. But anyway, so soon, (laughs) soon after... Alex Irvin pled guilty to all charges, attempted murder in the second degree, assault in the first degree, and criminal use of a firearm, which meant that there would be no trial. And Carrie Herzog was, of course, pissed about that. She wanted to rain down her white-hot fury on this man, so she wasn't going to get a chance to do that. But Katrina said she thought Carrie was even more angry than she was about it. Katrina had almost resigned to the fact that nothing was going to happen to Alex Irvin because in her experience with Alex and the law, nothing ever did happen to him because he had a badge. So Carrie made an impassioned plea to the judge to give Alex a minimum of 20 years behind bars. But the judge gave the man who shot and tortured Katrina the lightest sentence possible of 5 to 15 years behind bars. Are you kidding me? I am unfortunately not kidding you. I mean, he killed his pregnant... How do you say that? He killed his unborn son. Yeah, he killed his unborn son. Five years? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get more for tax evasion. Yeah. Right? I Probably. I think so. That's... Wow. I mean, what a range, too. Five to 15? I mean, it just gives them, like, oh, he got out on good behavior. You know? One of those. The punishment does not seem to match the crime. Absolutely not. But this also happened in... The 90s? Yeah, like either late 90s, early 2000s. So not not the best time for things like this. Yeah, I'm just dumbfounded. That's such a light sentence. No, it for sure is. So I'm sure you can imagine how mad Carrie was with this sentencing. She had kicked a garbage can clear across her office and actually kept it for the remainder of her career with a huge dent in the side. So she just completely (laughs) fucked up her office and was like this is terrible yeah her passion is inspiring like if you have a prosecutor on your side who's that's who cares this much who cares this much yeah that's what you want yeah no she's the best but also very intense 
I mean, she spent years building this case mm-hmm. against this man, and to get that conviction, I can imagine, is just infuriating. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Katrina was not very surprised, because this is just her experience. It's like, right. he just gets, he has no consequences, really. I mean, I guess he has some kind of consequences. He is getting put away, but for far less than he should. Yeah. But although Carrie couldn't deliver the sentence they both wanted, she gave Katrina something really important. Katrina said that no one had ever cared enough to fight for her, and Carrie fought for her even when she couldn't fight for herself. Which is huge. I mean, she didn't really have family. I mean, her grandmother convinced her to stay with this guy, so it's not like she had a bunch of positive influence or people in her life who cared about her. She was homeless in a shelter on the Lower East Side of New York City, so... This was huge for her to have someone. Absolutely. And then her mother-in-law is a goddamn snake, too. Absolutely. To have somebody really with a white, hot intensity fight for you is, I'm sure, really important. Yeah. So with Alex Irvin in prison, Katrina focused on her future because only moving forward, baby. So that future included a job at a very unlikely place, the New York City Police Department. Really? Yes. Because of everything she had been through, Katrina wanted to become a good cop, in her words. And she said, a good cop has empathy. A good cop cares about people that they have to protect and have to serve. I was a great cop. The criminal justice system failed her so many times. She called 911 after being beaten for years before she was shot. So she wanted to become what she said she needed all those years ago, a good cop. She truly wanted to protect and serve because she knew what it felt like to be on the other end. No one was more surprised than Katrina's former advocate and now friend, Carrie Herzog, but it made complete sense. In July of 2001, eight and a half years after her brutal attack, Katrina was one of the 1,600 new recruits sworn in at the NYPD's police academy. They would go on to be known as the 9-11 class, when just two months into training, Katrina and her fellow police cadets became first responders on September 11th. Oh my god. This was one of the times where she really doubted she could keep going, but even still, she pushed through. She said all of her peers were going through the same feelings, so they fed off of each other's strength. But as Katrina started her new life within the criminal justice system, Alex Irvin was released from prison after serving just 10 years. This was obviously terrible for her. She was at the beginning of her career and just wanted to focus on that and not her would-be killer being let out. But even with that, she still pushed forward and didn't let it set her back at all. From the start, Katrina sought out the tough assignments. She went undercover in Brooklyn and Queens, even adopting a cigar-smoking persona to catch drug dealers. Anything that, in- that entailed undercover work, she did. She knowingly put herself in dangerous situations, which Carrie Herzog couldn't wrap her head around because why would someone who had been through so much want to put herself back in a situation that could take her life? But she rationalized it as, what could anyone do to scare her at that point in her life? Yeah, I was going to say she's used to it. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm sure that it's so messed up, but yeah, she's used to it and would handle the pressure really well. Yeah. And she did. She even spent 18 months as an undercover sex worker in Queens with the intention of arresting pimps and those soliciting prostitution. So during her time as an undercover sex worker, she felt a strong connection to the women that she encountered. She said they allowed her to realize how important it was for her to do her job to the best of her ability. 
because she really sympathized and empathized with these women because she had been in, you know, very similar situations in the past. I mean, maybe not sex work, but she had hit rock bottom. Yeah. So it just only inspired her to keep going and being a better version of who she was and working harder for these women, which was just, it's just amazing. So after five years of working undercover on the streets, Katrina began working as a community affairs officer. She felt that she had so much she could give back as a police officer, but through all of this amazing work, she worried that her secret past would hurt her career. She never shared her trauma, since she believed it may have made some of the NYPD question if she was fit to serve. Isn't that messed up? Wow. She was like, I'm not going to tell anyone that I am this incredible survivor because they're going to question if I'm fit to serve. Yeah, I can't believe she felt that way. I would imagine that if you go through something like that, you got chops to go through really horrible situations. Absolutely. But, I mean, she was a, a black woman in the early 2000s just trying to get by. So, like, I don't blame her. Yeah. I can't, I could never put myself in her shoes and know what that felt like. But it's just sad. It's just very tragic that she never felt like she could share her past and her experiences with her coworkers or with the people in her life. Yeah. It was this like big secret. Yeah, I hope she found somebody she could talk about it with. She yeah, she did. And we're going to get to that, but just at the time it was like this big secret in her life. Although she feared the possibility of her past being outed, Katrina moved forward in her career and became a detective first grade, the NYPD's highest investigative rank. But wait, there's more. In 2014, one of her final years with NYPD, Katrina became one of the few black women in NYPD history assigned to protect a New York City mayor when she was chosen to serve on Mayor Bill de Blasio's advanced security detail. Katrina Cook Brownlee spent a lifetime defying the odds, climbing out of poverty, surviving a near-fatal attack, walking after believing she would never walk again, and then becoming the positive change that she needed. In 2021, after 20 years on the force, Katrina retired from the NYPD, and in her last meeting with the mayor, she finally opened up about something she had been hiding for decades, which was her past. She told the mayor that she had written a book. And when he found out that it was about the time she had been shot 10 times, he couldn't believe it. She had never said a single word about any of it. But now this secret that she had been carrying around was finally out there. She had the scars from her attack, however, she had even gotten roses tattooed over them. That way she didn't have to see them. And in spite of everything, she even found it in her heart to forgive Alex Irvin. She said, I had to forgive him so I can get back my control, so I can get back my power, and so I can have the peace within myself. There's no peace when you harbor anger, when you're mad. There's no peace in that. Yeah, that's what I was, I was going to say something similar, but I can't begin to wrap my head around the journey that you need to go through to get to that point. No, God, no. But I mean, she's been through so much, overcome so much, and only continued to go up and up and up in her life and in her career. And just, it's so incredible. Yeah. So when she was asked, what's next for you? She said, just to tell my story and to continue to work on my organization with my girls, Young Ladies of Our Future. Young Ladies of Our Future is a nonprofit organization that Katrina founded in 2012 and it aims to inspire, educate, mentor, and empower at-risk young ladies by building character and influencing positive thinking in their lives and those around them. Through healing the wounds of interpersonal violence, building self-esteem, and promoting health and wellness, these young ladies can achieve their goals and live successful lives. 
She never wants any other girl or woman to ever have to go through 5% of what she had been through. She said, if you build and you teach and give young people these tools, you save them every single time. The 22-year-old Katrina was lost, broken, forgotten, violated, and at the lowest point that a person can be. And now today, I feel like I am a beautiful black queen that fought the fight. Fuck yeah, she did. And also, what a meaningful career that she had. Yeah. All the way through the NYPD, going undercover, Mm -hmm. all those times helping all those people, and then after she retired, she just keeps working. Being a first responder to 9-11. Yeah, in her first two months. Yeah, getting the highest level of investigator at the NYPD, being on the security detail for the mayor. Like, you can't get much better than that. Like, she is an absolute queen queen like i don't know what else i don't know what word to use but that's the first one that came to my head but katrina's book about her life is titled and then came the blues um if you're interested in that and also i will put a link to youngladiesofourfuture.com in the description so if you want to check that out check that out but isn't that freaking insane how much she overcame how incredible she is at being the positive change she so desperately needed like that's real inspiration right there like yeah i mean the way she described it is kind of how i felt like you're in a hole so deep and so so wide that you can't see the bottom or the sides i was like yeah that's real and i can't believe that she came out of it because this is just a case where somebody falls through the cracks she has no support system Mm -hmm. she has two young children she just has no um resources yeah she seemingly has no resources to help her yeah so for her to go from that to where she is now is truly an inspiration yeah and also quick shout out to that friend that just so happened to knock on the door that day and immediately get her the help that she needed because she would not be alive without him just a quick moment for him because she would not be here today if it wasn't for him too yeah and i don't know the cynical part of me was as soon as you said the person that knocked on the door was his friend, I was like, are these people going to cover it up? Yeah. But he completely went the other way. Mm-hmm. And then Carrie, the prosecutor, I mean, I don't think she could have done much more. No. You know? Yeah. She did everything she could. Absolutely. A real contrast in this story. Incredibly dark, but we end up in a in a very... Good place. Good place. Yeah. yeah. It felt like a good story to ring in the new year with, you know, get that inspiration that we need to kick off our year. Amen. But anyway, that is Katrina's story. Why don't we move on to our good thing? Would you like to start? Bro. (laughs) (laughs) No? I don't even know. Oh, um, my good thing for this week is that I just played a scrimmage hockey game with my dad, brother, and cousins and uncle. It was with like their league. Yeah. So it just like wasn't high stakes, but I just had a lot of fun because I haven't skated or played a scrimmage in probably three or four years just because I've had so many injuries and I don't want to just play something for fun and then end up in the ER. No, absolutely. You know, and I've had too many injuries, but it, it was just it was just fun. Yeah, it was really fun to watch. It was the first time I'd ever seen you play hockey. I mean, I know you play you played for most of your life, but this was the first time that I had ever seen it and it was very fun. Yeah. So, so that's my good thing. Yes. My good thing is that we're seeing our friends later. We're going to visit them at their apartment and we're going to eat good food and we're probably going to have good times and then we're going to see our other friends tomorrow. It's going to be a yeah. very full weekend. We'll be watching the Michigan game. Yeah. So go because blue. At the, sure. At the time of recording this, this New Year's has not happened yet. So it's a little bit of a back a bit in of a time, time travel. Back time warp. Um, 
But anyways, our poll for Patreon is out now if you want to check that out and vote on the upcoming bonus episode. What options do we have? Well, thank you so much for asking. We have a man who was taken hostage by a gang of rebels and quickly realizes a deal for his release is not going to happen, so he attempts an escape on his own. We also have a U.S. Air Force pilot who took his 10-year-old son skiing in Turkey, and then they lose their way in a terrible snowstorm, and they have to he has to leave his son to get them help. And then lastly, but not leastly, we have a 14-year-old high school freshman who meets a 16-year-old sophomore, and then their relationship turns very dark. So... Those are our three options. So far, the Air Force pilot who got lost in the snow with his son is winning. If you would like to influence that poll, check out Patreon and hear that bonus episode that will come out in the next few weeks. I, I want to hear about the rebel. Well, it's losing. So go vote. Damn. <laughs> Anyways. I can't vote. Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to check out that poll, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or anything crazy that's happened to you, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com and you might hear it on an upcoming listeners episode. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.